Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 21. No real news for Fun Ideas Productions this week, except to Alvin, this story of Ross Bagdasarian Senior Liberty Records format films and The Alvin Show is just about ready to come out. You can pre-order your copies today at www.bearmannermedia.com and soon at amazon.com. I will be appearing on Phil Hall's online movie show podcast, as well as Stu Showstack's Stu Show video podcast to promote the book, and I will be announcing dates of air during <laughs> and I will be announcing air dates soon as soon as I know them Eddie D'Angelini is a cartoonist, webcomic collaborator, author, and owner of the Heidi Ho Comics comic book store in Santa Monica, California he joins me today to discuss his various projects as well as his loves and passions for all things comic book here he is Eddie D'Angelini Okay, I have Eddie D'Angelini on the phone. How are you, Eddie? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. Um, uh, I know you have a comic store called Heidi Ho Comics. Yes. Uh, how did you get in business there? Are you the original owner? I I don't know. So tell me a little history. No, on that. <laughs> no. Um, Heidi Ho Comics is actually uh, the oldest or one of the oldest comic shops um in the country, definitely in Los Angeles, it's been in business for 40 years. Oh, wow! And it was yeah, and no, I have not been around for that entire time. <laughs> I didn't uh, realize. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it was originally started by two brothers, Bob and Mark Hennessy, back in the late 70s, and then uh, they later sold it to this, a second owner. I think about a, uh, a decade, two decades later. I don't know exactly when this when that happened, and myself and two friends two partners we bought the shop uh from the second owner about four years ago okay so i went to it when the second owner was into it so it's because i haven't really been down there in a while but i think i was down there about 15 maybe 20 years ago he gets anyway. <laughs> okay so when you went to it then you went to uh it's been in four locations overall okay you went to it when it was in the second location in santa monica which yeah. was um on santa monica boulevard close to the santa monica library that's correct yeah i do remember yeah. that yeah that uh that location um unfortunately uh, the original owner, or I don't know if it was the original owner or the second owner when they were there, but uh, they had to move because um, the city turned that building. They, they tore it down and turned it into condos. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, that there was a period of time, and it's still happening, uh, it was a period of time where uh, there were developers that were just turning so much of Santa Monica into either condos <laughs> or parking structures. <clears throat> and so they had to move. And uh, they moved a little farther east from that location, still in Santa Monica. And when we bought it, it was in that location on Lincoln Boulevard. And then uh, just earlier this year, uh, in July, we moved it to what I think is a much better location, uh, closer to the Third Street Promenade for people who are listening who happen to know the Santa Monica area and know the, the famous Third Street Promenade shopping area. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, the reason I went there, and in fact, 
I can probably pinpoint the time. Uh, Harvey Comics moved out from New York, and they had a location for a number of years uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard, I believe, if I can memory serves. So, you know, I said, hmm, what comic stores are around here? And I knew of Heidi Ho Comics, and <laughs> so that was my venture out there. I said, oh, okay, I got a couple hours to kill before I have to go to my appointment, and, and that's where I went. So. <laughs> and that's funny, I never knew that Harvey Comics was in Santa Monica. Yes, it was for... Actually, I think they were in L.A., really, but it was Santa Monica Boulevard, however far it was. I'd have to look up the exact address, but, um, yeah, I met with uh, Sid Jacobson, and uh, it was right around, let's see, I, no, I, did I meet Sid Jacobson that time? I think I did, and then Jeff Montgomery, so it was before they sold it to Classic Media, so sometime in the 90s, now that I'm thinking about it, so... <laughs> Anyway, I never knew they were there. Yeah, they were there for about uh, six to eight years, something like that. Okay. <laughs> but then now, Harvey's no more. It's all part of NBC yeah. Universal and DreamWorks and all big conglomerate mega corporation. Uh, oh well. <laughs> anyway, so um, were you involved in any other comic stores prior to this, or how did you get? Uh, together to, to do this was it just up for sale or what was the deal there uh, a little bit of all of that um, one of my partners uh, in the shop is actually Jeffrey Patterson who owns Jeffrey's Comics in Gardena oh I've been there uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and Jeffrey's Comics is actually the second oldest comic shop in Southern California so hmm. we're the first and the second and uh, he ran into the second owner at a convention nearby here in, in LA mm -hmm. and uh, that second owner just mentioned to him you know I'm actually thinking of and interested in selling the shop Mm -hmm. And so my partner jumped on that, and he came to me and said, "Do you want to? Do you want in?" So I said, "Yes." Cool. Now, not yeah, to so, now, not to dispute your claims of first and second or anything like that. Uh, I I remember as a kid, and then we're talking in the seventies now. Uh, <laughs> there was the old comic vendor in Torrance. So yes. how does that yeah. fit into the scheme of things? Of the, yeah. I think uh, I. <laughs> It was Nick Scotto's shop. I yeah. think that was um, came after Jeffrey's Comics. I think they opened, um, if not in the same year as Jeffrey's Comics, mm -hmm. uh, just like immediately a year after. But I do believe they were the they they came third. Okay. Or somewhere. I don't know the exact order, but they okay. uh, Jeffrey's okay. Comics opened up before the Comic Fender did. Okay. And if you if you remember even further, there was another one. Um, <laughs> there was Bob's Comics for a short while that back I don't in the remember 70s at all. And, and, and in the 80s. Well, I grew up in this area, yeah. in the Torrance uh, area and all around, yeah. and I remember always um, after school driving my bike, um, riding my bike to all the different comic shops, especially oh. on the weekend, so... Yeah, so I remember all of them. Okay, because see, I grew I grew up in Northern California, and then for a time between ages six and nine in the seventies, uh, I lived in Southern California briefly. And mm -hmm. I, the only reason I went to the old comic vendor is because they were in that old town shopping center. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> my, I, you know, I had never heard of a, you know at that time that anybody would deal with old comics. I just figured, you know, you 
you know, I was a kid. I didn't know any better. You buy comics and then you read them and you either keep them or throw them away. That was my extent of knowledge on comics. And, uh, you know, yeah. they were sold, selling older ones and I'd look at the prices and they were like incredibly high. Obviously, he didn't look at the price guide or anything. <laughs> I just remember. Um, like I was just getting into Mad Magazine and he had an old one from like 1956 or something and it was $60 and you know looking back at the price guide from that it probably was worth about a tenth of that but <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean now it yeah. might be worth $60 but you know in mint or something but you know that's <laughs> 40 years yeah, later <laughs> um, when I started uh getting into comics mm -hmm. that was the late 70s and that was right at the cusp when a lot of comic shops started opening up mm -hmm. and it, and the, the whole uh industry went from uh newsstands to slowly starting to um go into comic shops specialty shops mm -hmm. and it was around that time i believe when people started to get an inkling that hey these things might be worth money Mm -hmm. And so that was like a big thing. I remember when I was a kid, where if you would get uh, comics where the cover price was twelve cents, it was like it felt like you had gold in your hand, and you would try to protect it the best you can. Right. And I, I never let my 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 friends uh, read any of my comics or borrow any of them because <laughs> I was just always about trying to keep them as nice as possible, and you know, really, really taking care of them. And my friends were like, you know, whatever they were the more casual comic fans that just would read stuff and just toss it around and fold it up and put it in their back pocket and to me that was like sacrilege mm -hmm. <laughs> now uh, i haven't been to well i tell a lie i was at i was in la at the beginning of this month but it wasn't for comic stores in fact somebody said do you get a chance to go to the comic store no because actually i was down there because of a, a radio convention i was down there for um, the, the monkey's head 50th anniversary <laughs> and mm -hmm. that was really the extent of my visit down there so I didn't go down there so I was just curious I remember visiting other stores and not to knock anybody I'm just saying other stores that are down there uh, or say uh, is Golden Apple still there down there uh, Golden Apple is Meltdown unfortunately has closed both of them have closed. Okay, I knew Meltdown did, and I was going to ask about that. Yeah, no, too. no, uh, oh. Golden Apple. As far as I know, I just I don't venture into that area. Oh, okay. As far as I'm aware, it's still around. But yeah, Meltdown has, has okay. closed. Okay, Meltdown is closed. Okay, so Golden Apple's yeah. still open. Those are the two I know down there. Besides, I did go to Jeffrey's, and I don't even know what's down there. Is there anything else that's major that? Is in that area? Not really. Okay. Uh, there's like a couple. You can find a couple of small ones here and there. Yeah. Uh, like near, um, a little east of where I am in Torrance is another one called the Comic Cult, mm. which is def right across the street from uh, Harbor UCLA Medical Center. Mm -hmm. But it, it's just a really small place. It's not really anything of note. Yeah. And you will find like you've got you know here in the LA area you've got like about half a dozen or so well-known comic shops like mine, Jeffrey's Comics, Golden Apple, mm -hmm. uh, Dream World is another one. And then you've got like a smattering of just small, uh, small shops that are just like, you know, single owner type shop that uh, most likely the owner himself is the only person on staff, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And there, you find quite a few of those as well, just kind of scattered around. But... I've never found one that I thought was really of of note in any way. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it is kind of sad in a certain way. I know how it's happened. I know Northern California better than Southern California, and uh, you know, there's still quite a few shops there, but it's not how yep. it was. <laughs> so, and uh, you know, and I'm in Oregon now, and there's really just one shop here. There, there's two, but it's owned by the same person, so it's really just one. That's how I consider it, and they're okay. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, it's it's not like what I'm used to, and so nowadays, if I, you know, I get some current comics, but a lot of times I have to order things off of eBay either because they don't get everything, or, you know, yeah. it's you know they only have so many back issues. I just have to go online if I'm looking for something. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, people don't really realize it is a, an extremely tough business to be in. Yeah. The people that go into it do it because they love it. They don't do it because they're they want to make a lot of money because a lot of shops don't. And a perfect example is you mentioned Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I went just recently uh, to visit her her brother in Hillsboro, Oregon, mm-hmm. outside yeah. of Portland. And when we had gone, I think about a year ago before, there was actually a small comic shop that opened up uh, just right near where he lives in Hillsboro. We went back this last time. It was already gone. Yeah. <laughs> so it is just such a tough business. Yeah. I mean, even for a shop like me that's pretty well known and has been around for 40 years, mm-hmm. and we're in a major city and like in, in a, close to a major shopping area and a major tourist area, it's still tough for us. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your, your, your up times, you have your down times. There is no just steady, reliable business. It's just, it really is up and down. Mm-hmm. Now, what what do you sell in the shop nowadays? I'm sorry, say that again? What do you sell in the shop nowadays? Oh, okay. Well, um, I think that we are probably pretty typical to most comic book shops. Uh, we have an area for uh, the new floppy issues that come out each week. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a back issue section and a discount comic book section um we have like a selection of we have a pretty good selection of trade paperbacks because that seems to be more of our area of where we do well as opposed to the single issue floppies in fact i was talking to someone about this uh about a week ago um a lot of the weekly books that come out for us and i don't speak for all shops but um for us in particular we have a very small window of opportunity to sell those books. The week uh, a title comes out, that's our that's literally our window to sell that book. Mm-hmm. Once that week is over, that window is closed. Wow. Uh, it's just very barely open. And we have a, a section right next to the uh, the new this week wall where it's uh, you know issues of um, uh, previous week's books going mm-hmm. back like the last month, last two months, and. I that area has consciously shrunk over time hmm. and even the back issue section has shrunk over time because for us especially we have people that are pretty rabid readers um, but they really will uh, pick stuff up the week that it comes out after that they pretty much gravitate straight to the trade wall they hmm. will just go and get stuff in trade and you know a large people will say the large amount of the, of the industry is really moving towards that and i totally agree and for us in particular um it's really so and we have a good example would be um i i, I 
use this as an example, but Paper Girls, uh, the image book, mm-hmm. uh, was a big, big seller for us when it came out. Um, we couldn't keep that in stock. We were constantly reordering that. We were just going through, you know, the first two, three, four, five issues, just going through them. In fact, um, uh, my partner, uh, Jeffrey, over at Jeffrey's Comics, was just giving me all of his stock of that issue because they weren't selling it over there very much. And we were just going through it. <laughs> as soon as the first trade came out, uh, the monthly floppy sales just went straight into the, the toilet, just went straight down. Yeah. And the, uh, the the trades, the volumes, have just shot up. And I'm like constantly reordering ordering those. And it's the same with like a uh, title like Saga. Mm-hmm. We sell through those trade paperbacks like crazy. But the monthly books, I, I don't really sell a lot of them. So I see the market moving more towards trade paperbacks and less towards weekly books. So unfortunately, that means we have an opportunity to sell a lot of those titles the week it comes out. And after that, not so much. So I really have to make my orders reflect that. Mm-hmm. And I really need to sell. I need to order what I'm going to sell for that week. Because after that, mm-hmm. if I have too much, it's all just going to sit there and just end up in my 99 cent section. Yeah. You know, except for like some of the major titles like Batman or X Men, where I try to have a few of the issues go into our back issue bin. Everything else is unfortunately is wasted money. So, yeah, it, it's it, really tough for any comic shop to know exactly how much to order of something to make sure that they either only have a few issues left of a major title for the back issue section that they can eventually sell through, mm-hmm. or for smaller titles, make sure they order just enough to be able to sell out in that first week so that they're not stuck with anything. Yep. And the system as it is now, with um, ordering your books two months in advance, I think really makes it tough. And I think that is one of the reasons why some comic shops just can't make it. Because they order too much of everything, their bills are too high, and then they can't survive. Yeah. And, of course, you can't return them, you know, like in the old, old, (laughs) old days, you know? Yeah. You know? (laughs) I mean, every once in a while, they do make an exception um, in some way, I guess, as an incentive. Like when um, all the new DC Rebirth titles started, Mm -hmm. all of the number ones were returnable. Huh. So they just, it was basically telling them, hey, we think this is going to be a big thing. Order as much as you want and don't worry about it because a few months down the line, whatever you don't sell, you can return. Mm. So that is kind of a big help. Mm. So, and then uh, I was (laughs) talking to someone else about this today, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Um, You try to order your titles very close to the bone and then. The problem with that is even if you're doing that really well, something will break out to where you think, oh, my God, I wish I would have ordered two or three or four times as much as what I did. And a good example of that is that Batman Damned book. Yeah. (laughs) Because everyone went nuts for that, and the thing was just shooting up on eBay. And uh, I thought it would be a pretty big thing, and I ordered a lot of copies thinking uh, that I would have more than enough um, over the few weeks, you know, for the demand of it. Mm-hmm. I sold out that very first day. Oh, wow. <laughs> they were just all gone. Oh, and I, I, I wish I would have ordered five times as much. Wow. But then, you know, I, you never knew, you know, it's like you could have ordered exactly. five times and they'd just be sitting there and you're like, ah! <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and, and I think that's one of the downfalls with um, 
this industry is that shops are forced to order their their books two months in advance and a lot of times new series are starting new series are getting rebooted and you just have no idea you're really literally just spitballing and just guessing what you should order yeah and i i can't think of any other any other business where that is the case yeah, well, I, I do know. I do, I do notice that a lot of comic stores nowadays, the ones that tend to have any sort of longevity nowadays, you know, they are kind of just turning into bookstores per se, you know, because of you know yeah. stocking more and more graphic novels and less and less of the floppies and stuff like that. That's why. Yeah. That's why I have to turn to eBay because it's like people always say, "Well, you can go through uh, previews and order all that stuff," you know, and I go, "Yeah, but you know." <laughs> I don't even as a as a as a buyer, you know, just as an individual consumer, I don't want to sit there and go through that big phone book of previews. I just yeah. like to see it in the store. If I don't, well, you know, that's what eBay's for, you know. Exactly. <laughs> what other business do you go to that um, you're told, "Hey, you can buy this, and but you're not going to get it two months from now." Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like if you go to the grocery store and say, "I want a dozen eggs," and it comes to your house two months later. Yeah. It just it seems really odd. Yeah. And for whatever reason, uh, this industry just just went in that direction, you know, however many years ago when Diamond became in the monopoly, and it seems set in stone, and I don't know if there's any way to break that, and if we just have to figure out <laughs> how to game the system so our shops can benefit from it in some way. So Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I oh, think, um, you know, being more of a bookstore is probably the way to go with a few select titles. So, you know, it's like... Right. Yeah. Right. Because you have a number of people that literally come in the shop and say, I've, I've never read comics. What do you recommend? Yeah. And we can turn them on to titles uh, that they we think we might like by giving them the first volume of a trade paperback. Mm-hmm. You know, and that hooks them. Um, you know, like when when Walking Dead was really big, uh, people would come in and say, "Oh, I love the show. I just found out it was a comic. Uh, I want to check it out." You say, "Great." You know, you give them that first volume of the trade paperback, right. and they buy it. And a lot of times, they would buy it. They would they would go home, and they would literally come back the next day and said, "I started reading it. And I couldn't put it down. I need to buy the. Uh, I need to buy more." Yeah, you know, <laughs> I need to know what happens. So I think that's the way to really hook people as opposed to um, just marketing your business towards the regulars that come in every Wednesday to buy, you know, the new issue of whatever. Right. Because unfortunately, that market is shrinking. Yeah. And it has been for some time, and I think a lot of comic shops don't want to admit it, but they really need to um, widen their nets to get in more readers in different ways as opposed to just telling people well you got to come every wednesday (laughs) to buy the new issues of this title or that title when most people say but i just want a book i can sit down and read the whole thing in one shot right (laughs) so and there's nothing wrong with that i mean there's a lot of people that will look down on those people saying well they're not real comic book fans if they're not coming to the shop every wednesday and picking up the new issue of whatever title and i just don't buy that people will enjoy comics in whatever way that they choose to and that doesn't make them any less of a fan 
Right. Well, for me, when I shop, you know, uh, I admit I don't go every week anymore. I used to all the time, but uh, sure, I go about once a month. But when I go, I know I spend more than I did when I went once a week because, you know, it was, it's usually a book that I buy, and I might buy two or three books as opposed to two or three just floppy comics so in the long yeah. run they get more money they just have to wait they have to wait for yeah. me you know and i know there's still people that come in regularly it's just like a habit you know it's just so you know you know i think if you're wise that way and you seem to have a good head about it you know it's like you know your shop should continue for quite a while unless they suddenly say we're not doing any more books but i've even heard recent articles or read them on the internet and stuff that you know uh book bookstores in general are making a comeback because people don't really care for ebooks as much as they do regular books so i think that sounds promising for even comic stores yeah i agree with that and i think that the one thing that comic book shops have over bookstores is the collectability factor yeah. Um, someone who wants to just read, like, say, the newest romance novel or, um, you know, any other type of throwaway book, they might just be fine getting it digitally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of fans, um, comic book fans, that are going to, you know, they might read something digitally, but that uh, has been shown to actually get people to come into the shop because they say hey I checked out this series digitally I really liked it I want to see what else there is and I want to buy it all now mm-hmm. so uh, the bookstores just the regular pros bookstores they, they don't have that benefit of that collectability right you know because um, like someone had told me one time and it's like yeah if I go to a convention and um, you know I meet the, the artist or the writer of the book I like how am I going to get him to sign my digital copy yeah well, even the regular bookstores don't have the knowledge either. I mean, like uh, a chain, there's Barnes and Noble up here, and they have a whole wall of graphic novels. But uh, there's no real rhyme or reason. It kind of frustrates me that they don't carry any of the fantagraphic stuff. Although they could, uh-huh. you know, I'm talking about like the EC reprints and things like that, and the Dark Horse. Yeah, ones. they could, but they don't because. You know, they pro- they think, eh, it probably doesn't sell. I don't know. But they don't have any rhyme or reason. Now, like with every other store, you could special order. But it's like I'm the type that still, after all this time, I just like to go in and browse and, hey, there's something neat, you know. True. Yeah. But I think also when you walk into a, a store like that, like a Barnes & Noble, yeah. and they only have, like, certain things, yeah, you could possibly special order it. But there's just kind of like a more of a nameless, faceless uh, corporate feel to it as opposed to when you go into a comic book shop and, you know, uh, no comic book shop can carry everything. One, they probably couldn't afford it, and two, they don't have the space for it. Uh, So whatever they don't have, I think there's more of a willingness, at least for me, I think, for someone to order it from a comic book shop than uh, a, a faceless corporation. Yeah. You know, because you're dealing with someone in a comic book shop, someone who possibly knows that material and says, oh, yeah, that's great stuff. You know which one I recommend? I recommend you get start with this one. Yeah, and I'm, and, that way, and I'm that way as a consumer. I'd rather go, if I'm going to do a special order, I'd rather do it in a comic book store than mm-hmm. Barnes & Noble. Sorry, Barnes & Noble, but you, know, <laughs> you get enough of my money anyway, so they, they shouldn't suffer. So, But, you know, yeah. I mean, I know I always can. You know, it's, it's just more fun to support the little guy than supporting the big guy when it comes to something like that. Sure. Yeah. And back to your earlier question as far as what we carry in the shop. 
we also do try to carry a pretty good selection of um, older vintage books, you know, mm-hmm. Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm always um, fielding collections and trying to find them and getting that stuff and having um, that kind of stuff up on the walls of the shop because I think that gives any comic book shop a certain amount of prestige. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Somebody listening to this might say, well, that was a silly question, Mark. Why would you ask a comic store owner what he carries? But you have to understand, not all comic stores really carry comics, which is really, oh, no. or even graphic novels. It's like, you know, there's some that just carry toys or anime DVDs or yeah. something like that. And it's like, those really frustrate me because why are you calling yourself a comic book store? But that's what they carry. So Yeah, and, and there are some shops that do gaming. Um, and some that don't. Yeah. And, you know, some people have strong opinions on that, but the truth is there are a lot of shops that have to rely on that gaming um, to survive. Yeah. And, you know, we do gaming. We do uh, Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. and that's a really big thing for us. And I think we're known as not just a comic book shop, but also a gaming shop because uh, the Magic the Gathering, uh, the community that we have of players is pretty large. Mm-hmm. Uh, every three months when a new um, new card set comes out, we have a big pre-release weekend that literally goes from Friday at midnight straight through to uh, Sunday evening, you know, with people playing and are just there literally the whole time. And um, we will pack the shop wow. with as many as like 60, 70, or 80 people that are playing, mm-hmm. you know. And um, as much as I love comics, I'm, I didn't grow up as a gamer for you know Magic the Gathering. I try to play a little bit, try to keep up on it the best I can. But um, I love comics, and I can understand why some people going into a comic shop have like a certain bad taste in their mouth if they go in and it's all gaming when they just want comics. But the truth is, a lot of comic shops need that as a component of their shop, really, to survive. Right. But my point is, you know, when it's only gaming and they still call themselves a comic book shop, and it's like, why? True. I mean, just call yourself a gaming shop. Like, there is, uh, you know, again, this is Northern California. Uh, there's... Uh, this one shop that's uh what's i should know her shop's name uh forgive me oh it's called elusive comics and then uh the uh she finally opened a gaming shop separately because it was taking over so yeah. it's called island of gamers so uh, she so she has two shops now you know and uh you know, it, 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 I think that's wise. You know, it's like if it, you know, overtakes the one shop, makes another shop, or rename your shop. If you, uh, but you know, so that's why yeah. I'm cur- kind of curious what direction you go. So, well, for us at least, when you walk into our shop, there's no question that it is a comic book shop. Yeah, uh, you will see. Uh, a whole wall of shelf of trade paperbacks of all kinds. You'll see another wall uh, full of all the newest issues. You'll see plenty of uh, superhero-themed toys. Um, By the register area, you'll see a whole wall of older key issues um, up on display. So there's no question that it's a comic book shop. Now, in the evenings... Uh, closer when the store close, uh, closes, that's when a lot of the gaming starts to happen. So it's not so much um, a detriment to the people that come in that are just there for comics. You come in there during the day, That all the tables and all the gamers, they're not out in your way. Right. Um, blocking your your uh, ability to go get whatever issue you want. So mm-hmm. um, as much as we try to keep those separate, it's still, both are still part of what the shop is. Right. 
And that's fine. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, let's see, shifting gears a little bit. So mm-hmm. you're also a cartoonist, you say. <laughs> it <laughs> so says I here say, on my notes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so tell me, you have a webcomic called Collectors. Tell me a little bit about that. Collectors is a weekly webcomic that's about, it's, it's semi-autobiographical. It's based on myself and my wife and my comic book collecting and all the nerdy stuff that my wife has to put up with living with me. And it's a, um, it's a comic, comic strip done in the style of the Sunday comic funnies in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I do it as a weekly webcomic, and every Sunday I put up a new comic strip, just like the Sunday funnies. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing it for a little bit over five years now mm-hmm. and in that time I've actually collected four volumes um, of my comic strips along with you know, a bunch of new material in there as well mm-hmm. uh, five if you also include the one shot comic that I did in Spanish for the uh, Latin Comics Expo earlier this year and you're talking about on these four volumes they're like, uh, like graphic novel books as it were yeah uh, like the first one uh, collected all the comic strips I did in the first year, mm-hmm. um, plus new material. Uh, but because I didn't start at the very beginning of the year, uh, it's not as big as the other ones. That one's 48 pages. And then uh, the other volumes are a bit bigger, like 80 pages. The one that just came out earlier this year, volume four, is 100 pages. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's literally the size of a trade paperback. Okay. Uh, what's the incre- I understand the first year you said why, why the increase in pages on the the later ones just so you so you just had extra material to add that you were just working yeah, on? yeah yeah because then as time went on I started because uh, I put up a new strip every Sunday and because the first year I started I think in in May I think so I didn't have a full year of strips uh, and then the next volume came out was actually a full year of comic strips plus all the new extra you know original material that i threw in there so they just got bigger and bigger as they went on (laughs) now have you worked on any other projects in comic books or comic strips or anything prior to this that we would know Um, about yeah uh there is i don't know if you've ever heard of this company but there is a smaller um independent company called stranger comics And I worked for them um, before I started doing my own comic strip. And uh, their company, they deal with uh, their their books that they put out are like dark fantasy, um, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of worked for them doing, uh, literally just like literally doing everything. It was just a small group of people, and they would all jump in and just do whatever they could to help promote the books and get them out there. And um, they've started to get a lot of buzz after I left with, with certain titles that were starting to get um, optioned as film or TV projects. Um, but they're not quite yet really known yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think when some of the projects starts to bust out and come out in other media like they've been, they've been planning, then you know more people will know about them. Mm-hmm. And in your uh, artistic background, did you are you self-taught or did you go to school or both or? Um, I guess a little bit of both. I mean, my my um, I didn't actually go to school for uh, uh, more the art cartooning side of it. I did go to school and study graphic design mm-hmm. because for a while before I even ventured into this whole industry of creating and selling comics i was actually a web designer Mm. and so i did go to school for that and i always had some kind of creativity uh, creative thing that i've always wanted to do um 
and it eventually kind of came out as doing this this comic strip and this web comic and um mostly self-taught and partly taught in school from all the different art classes I took studying anatomy and things like that which kind of got me going mm-hmm. now when you're doing this trip how do you do you do it uh, hand-drawn or are you doing it on the computer how, what's your process I I literally am old school <laughs> uh, or as my wife would say just old um, I literally still uh, pencil and ink um, each comic strip by hand mm-hmm. uh, but then after that I scan it in and then I do all the coloring and the lettering digitally okay um, but yeah every week uh, a new comic strip starts with an 11 by 17 uh, bristle board which I just start sketching out and laying out in blue pencil and then going back and penciling and inking Oh wow! So yeah, and there's an advantage to that. I I have the believe it or not, I actually have the equipment here in my house to do all of that digitally. Mm-hmm. And so many of my other cartoonist friends have said, "You've got to do digital. You got to do digital. It's going to save you so much time." And I agree with them, and I understand what they're telling me. But every time I do a show in a convention, I bring all these original strips with me, and I sell them, which I couldn't do if I was working digital. So right. there's a benefit to it. Right. <laughs> I know now that uh, certain artists, if you want a commission, and this burned, I won't say who the artist was or the uh, person purchasing, but they had ordered a commission and the person wasn't doing anything on board anymore and he misunderstood the situation so he had it all digital and he goes no, 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 I wanted you to do it on a board so I could purchase this from you I just, you know, it's, and he finally reluctantly agreed to redraw it on a board because he had done it all on the computer I, I couldn't even imagine someone hiring me to do a commission and then just doing it digitally. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Because uh, I'm sure, like, this person thought, I want something that I can hang up on my wall, not something that I'll just look at on my phone every once in a while. Right. <laughs> well, the artwork was designed to be used for a book, and uh, but also oh, the person okay. wanted the original art. You know, you know, as the, you know, as just like something to hang on the wall, you know, and it's like, oh, right. you know, and it, but there's a misunderstanding. It got cleared up, you know, but you know, that just, I guess is a little more of an understandable situation, at least for the from the artist point of view, is that right. he's being hired to do a job, you know, doing art for right. a book. He's so, supplying the work, and he didn't even think about what this person, what their intentions were. Yeah, yeah. So. And I don't know all the whole story behind it, but, <laughs> you know, except that there was a, a brief time with some aggravation, and I had to kind of be intermediary saying, come on, you know, I understand you're drawing this, and you need to draw it twice, but, you know, hey, he wasn't clear, and, eh, you know, and and then, they, you know, it got cleared up. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, so um, uh, tell us a little bit about that collector's, I I guess you kind of did, but I mean, is it kind of an ongoing saga or is it, you know, is it humorous or what type of characters are there and things like that? It's a humor strip similar to what you see or what you used to see in the Sunday funnies on Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. where it's just basically one and done gags. About um, the characters are um, myself, my wife, or or characters loosely based on us, and uh, my friends and other you know uh, 
couple of neighbors that pop in here and there. Um, so it's kind of like almost like a, a sitcom style uh, world of characters uh, done in a weekly Sunday style comic strip and they're all one and done gags so you can just jump in at any point you know if you go in and check out my website at collectorscomic.com on a Sunday morning and see the newest strip it's just a one and done gag one and done type of uh, joke and gag and it's all revolved around uh, comic book collecting and you know superheroes and that whole kind of pop culture thing that's just so big now yeah but it is uh I guess wide ranging enough that the average person who's not, you know, familiar with some deep uh, superhero lore or legend that you, you know the average person can probably pick it up and understand it and find it oh, humorous. Probably definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, whenever I do uh, conventions and I get like a table at Artist Alley and I sell my books, it's funny because. Um, I will spot the, the I, you can spot the married couples <laughs> and the guy will be digging through long boxes of comics you know looking for issues and the wife will just be standing there looking bored <laughs> and I will usually give a copy of if I'm nearby I'll give a copy of uh, my book to the, the wife and say hey check this out I think you can relate to it and she'll start reading it and and we'll start laughing and we'll start hitting her husband going oh my god check this out look this is totally us this is totally us <laughs> so there's a certain relatable humor um, for all married couples and, and especially if the husband is that guy who just loves to dig through uh, you know long boxes at a show and like you know hit a bargain bin at a comic shop so it's very much revolved around not just comics, but about, you know, marriage and, you know, all the just the little annoyances or even just the joys that you have together. Mm-hmm. Now, now, is the book collections available online as well, or are they just through your store? Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, well, you can go to my store and buy them if you yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if you don't happen to be anywhere near Santa Monica, you can go to my website, collectorscomic.com, okay. and all of all the all four volumes they're all available there on the website mm-hmm. including other little materials like um uh some of the shirts i made up or the enamel pins or, and even the original artwork uh whenever i finish a comic strip mm-hmm. um i will put it up for sale on the website so some of the ones that i have are available there and then the the brand new strips if you're trying to read it weekly uh what's the, what's the url for that how do you find that Oh, that's at collectorscomic.com. That's okay. my main website. Okay. okay. And right there on the main homepage, uh, you scroll down a little bit, you'll always see the newest strip for that week. And then, um, you know, if if you're big on social media, the links for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are right there on the main page. And you can follow uh, the comic strip there as well. And every week I put the new one up. Okay. And you can literally go through the archives and look at every one that's ever been done. <laughs> Uh, not every single one. Oh, okay. um, usually, like uh, the ones that go back for a few years. Okay. Um, I don't keep those on the website. Those are only available in the books. Okay. So yeah, that was the reason why I was asking that. Is like if somebody doesn't want to buy the books, so they uh, <laughs> go through pages and pages. But you're kind of saying it's probably better if you want to get everything to get the books. True, but you know what? It's really funny is that when I started doing the comic strip mm-hmm. and I wanted to publish them in a volume. Uh, my first thought was, 
who's going to buy the book? Uh, everyone's already read the comic strips online for free. You would be surprised. Yeah. Uh, even people that have read all of them online will still say, I want the book. I want the book. I want something physical. Yeah, well, it's so, like what we were saying earlier. I mean, it's like, yeah, ebooks are fine, but, you know, it's like... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the collectability factor, and also just the tangibility factor. Even if it wasn't yeah. worth anything, it's like it's like I like holding books, and maybe it's because I'm old school myself. But yeah, I have seen e-books on my mm-hmm. computer, but I know I'm more likely to go to my shelf and pull it off, even if I have an ebook version of it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> the, um, you know, I was so scared in the beginning, thinking that well, people aren't going to buy it because. Mm-hmm. They've read them all online already, and that's when I I thought, okay, well, I need to put original material on the books that wasn't on the website Mm -hmm. as an incentive to get people to buy them. And as much as I enjoy doing doing that original material, and I do it in all of the books, Mm -hmm. um, as much as I enjoy doing them, it doesn't really seem to really affect anything. The people still want to buy Mm -hmm. the books, even though they've read everything online. Yeah. But it does make me, does gives me the ability to do original material in the book that I can't necessarily do online because online there's a very strict format. It's uh, very much like a five to six panel grid um, Sunday style funnies comic strip style mm-hmm. uh, template, mm-hmm. and I do the strip that way as like a one and done type of joke Mm -hmm. and so it's very strict but when i do the book and i do original material in there i'm more open to do something um a little bit bigger Mm -hmm. um like in the last book uh, if you see the cover it's uh kind of a take like each book i do some kind of homage on the cover to a different comic book genre and on the last one it's kind of a homage to uh, classic romance comics from the Silver Age. Mm. And so mm-hmm. I did an original seven-page story in the newest book that's all about uh, my wife and I um, telling our, telling the audience, the reader, about our first love and our first heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And, of course, my first love and heartbreak was a comic book. Mm. <laughs> so it, it affords me the ability to do something a little bit more, go a little bit longer, a little bit deeper. Okay. Um, I will have to check it out. That's one reason I'm okay. asking about it so intently, but also we're on a podcast. But <laughs> um, well, um, you know what? I, I meant to do this, uh, bring this up before we had talked, but uh, definitely after we're done with this, um, send me another message because I would like to send you copies of the book. Oh, okay. Well, you thank know, you very I'll much. Send you copies of all four. Sure. Okay. Um, let's see. You had mentioned also that you've been on Robert Kirkman's History of Comics. Now, what is that? Is that a podcast, too, or what is that? No, that was a TV show that was on AMC. Oh, I guess I have not seen that. Okay, tell me about that. <laughs> uh, that was a, uh, I forget how many episodes were in the series, but uh, it was basically just um, a certain number of episodes uh talking about the history of comics literally from the beginning to um to the present day mm-hmm. and um each episode dealt with a different time period and the first episode was the one that i was on and that was all it was it was titled the mighty misfits of marvel mm-hmm. and it was all about uh the whole beginning of the marvel era of comics and it focused a lot on um stan lee and jack kirby mm-hmm. And uh, they had me on there because uh, I, I guess I impressed somebody with the knowledge that I had and also owning the comic book shop. Um, they had me go on there basically just talking on and on about 
Jack and Stan and all the different stories about how they developed uh, the characters that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Now, is that your favorite era of comic and favorite publisher, or no? I think so, oh, yeah. I really okay. grew up loving Marvel Comics. I grew up loving um, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Daredevil. Mm-hmm. They're just... Uh, now, I, I, I get the impression that you're probably around the same age as me. Yep. And if you might remember, in the late 70s, uh, they published these Pocket Digest books that reprinted all of the original... Um, early issues of Spider-Man and yeah. Hulk and Fantastic. Yeah, that was my first introduction to comics. And so I grew up um, right away reading all that early stuff by uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. And I just, it just has stuck with me ever since. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess what we're, we're called second generation fans even though it was only like 10 years later but still <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know uh yeah. but yeah i never you know my first uh expo- well the very first thing i ever had and it just was somewhere it came along the line is a mighty thor issue from 1967 but i i don't remember seeing i mean it was around the house but i don't remember really being cognizant of it until the early 70s and i probably didn't buy a marvel Till like mid to late seventies, and then, yeah, it was Spider-Man first because Spider-Man used to appear on the Electric Company, and I said, yes. "Hey, maybe I should check out the real comic <laughs> book that this is based on," you know. Yeah. And then I, I was kind of shocked. I go, "Wow, there's a lot of reading in the real comic book. I didn't expect yeah, you didn't that." Say anything on the, on the Electric Company? <laughs> yeah, I remember the very first um, comic book, single issue comic book that I actually bought mm-hmm. off of the rack with my own. Um, allowance money uh, it was at a liquor store that was just like a block or two from my house where they had spinner rack in there and it was Daredevil 159 yeah and that was like the beginning of the whole Frank Miller era on the title and I remember that just just really pulling me in and really loving um, the character and the writing and that whole kind of like dark noirish of it yeah and I actually picked up Daredevil around the same time before that I mean, yeah. around that t- t- and like, uh-huh. I guess the weird thing about Daredevil around that time is, for me, is like, I go, well, you know, well, how did this manage to get up to 100, what is it, 158 issues or, at that point, you know, and it's like, how did it manage to get up to this point? and not get canceled or something, you know, <laughs> if it was, you know, because, uh, you know, now people nowadays, they say, oh, Daredevil by Wood was good, and by Colin was good, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, but they didn't say that then, they kind of acted like Daredevil was nothing until, you know, <laughs> issue 158, and so that's why I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Spider-Man was kind of like the opposite. They started off with Ditko, and then Romero took over, and, you know, so it had a successful run, and, of course, Kirby was on Fantastic Four for 100 issues and things like that, so, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, so, all that stuff is all the stuff that I grew up with reading. Right. And yeah, I didn't buy all that stuff off of the, the rack when it first came out, but in the reprints that they started doing in the 70s and the 80s, that's, you know, I started reading all that stuff and just absolutely loved it. So um, that whole era of comics is just literally my favorite and I've just always read anything I could about the backstory of these creators and the time and um, you know how everything came about um, 
you know what what's fact and what's mythology and and i think that's why they they had me on that that particular episode okay and how, how many episodes is it? I'm gonna have to check this series out. This is one that just went off my radar completely. I'm, um, like, I'm embarrassed. I don't, <laughs> I don't really know exactly how many episodes they had, but I mean, each episode focused on something different. Like the first one was the whole Stan and Jack thing. Mm-hmm. And for people who think that oh, they probably just glossed over everything and made you know Stan look great on this episode, um, yes, they did, and also they didn't. <laughs> Yeah. They had, uh, like, the first half, they really kind of delved into the whole Stan Lee side. And then on the second half, they really focused on Jack Kirby. Yeah. And so they really showed how both of them had um, weight as far as what happened in the whole history of the Marvel Universe. And there was no one person that did everything, really. Yeah. And um, some of the other episodes they had of the show was they had one that focused solely on Superman and the whole... Um, uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster fight and the rights and all that and how Neil Adams came in and really helped them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had other episodes that really focused on image and all the people that broke away from Marvel and created that uh, company. Oh, yeah. So there were uh, several different episodes. I, I You could probably look online and see how many there were that focused on different real highlight uh, areas of the industry and how they really affected things. Mm-hmm. Now, was it all... I hate to say all superhero based like it typically is. <laughs> Not really. Okay. Um, oh. Like, yeah, like like the image episode really went into how it kind of eventually created. Um, uh, how it really steered the industry not to uh, not so much from you know away from superheroes, but really focused on things other than and showed that okay. you know the comics can be more than just tights and capes right uh, but did they have episodes like about say dell or Fawcett or those type of older companies oh, the more unfortunately current? no yeah. they, they, they didn't really um have obviously the time or enough episodes to really go into all of that to really focus on other companies like charlton or dell or harvey or anything like that <laughs> um they they really focus on more or less the main points Got and it. really try to move the story along mm-hmm. uh quickly from the beginnings in the 40s, 50s, and 60s up to um, what it eventually became. Okay. So it's kind of more, for lack of a better term, kind of Silver Age on. I guess, well, did it cover Golden Age then? Or I guess you said Siegel and Schuster, so yeah. but uh, Yeah, they did in that episode. Um, and I think they even, if I remember correctly, they even had one episode that focused solely on Wonder Woman. Okay. All right. And okay. Uh, um, the creators of not just of the character but of the ones that worked on the titles and really um focus on the little kind of little weird quirky things that the creator may have may not have been into (laughs) well yeah i read i read that book about the lie detector machine (laughs) and all that that's a weird book yeah uh no it it went into a lot of the history (laughs) that people probably don't even know yeah So I will definitely have to check that out because you know I, I you know I used to just delve solely into things like Harvey and you know that's you know and things like that. But as time went on, I, I've developed a greater appreciation of learning the history of all comics and not just you know the stuff I like. You know because I realized you know I, I don't dislike Marvel and DC. It just was not you know after a time it just 
you know wasn't my main focus because you know uh, for me a lot of that stuff I, I got really annoyed and I had a recent podcast where we were talking about you know continuity on a lot of Marvel and DC stuff where it's like you're reading something and then to be continued in a title you don't read you know or to yeah, be continued yeah. in a an annual that came out two months ago that's already sold out in uh, a collector's yeah. price that's when I kind of jumped off the bandwagon and got annoyed with them but the earlier history you know you know of Marvel and DC totally fascinates me you know yeah. all the deals and the kind of swindle and, and the kind of behind the scenes dirt and stuff a little bit you know True. you know yeah, and, really it's like what you see on the surface or what's really known to the main uh, to the public at large as far as the history of comics is really just it's the surface stuff yeah. there's so much stuff underneath that maybe isn't as pretty that people don't know about but it exists and for you know historical factor it should be known and it should be recorded yeah um one of the things with that uh show that i would say that i was really kind of a little disappointed in mm. is the fact that I, it goes to the old saying that uh, uh history is written by those who are the winners and the winners being marvel and dc because as you know uh fandom and comics and everything advanced everything now is all you know the big marvel and dc tv shows and movies and one of the things that i think that while not completely forgotten really should be more remembered i would have loved to have seen an episode that focused on ec comics and the whole senate hearings that happened yeah and how literally the entire comic book industry was really at the brink of completely disappearing. Yeah. Well, I, I still would wish either a good documentary or even a good biopic, if they could get the right actors and everything, on just the life and history, you know, using the the world of William M. Gaines' book by Frank Jacobs as a basis, you know. Yeah. And uh, because it's a fascinating story, and there's so many bizarre things, you know, of how like his dad Max Gaines started the industry, and then the weird way he died, and then you know the son took over and really didn't want to do it, and then you know made mm-hmm. a success in a completely different way, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then that was taken away from him, and then but he still made a success again with Mad, and it's like wow, you know, it's like you know you don't. You know, it's impossible to believe that right. that actually happened. This is real stuff, you know, and it's like it would make a great movie if it was done correctly. So but. yeah, it would. And to think that um, the Senate actually got involved in something as what at the time people considered so trivial as comic books um, is just amazing that they would have spent the time to do that, thinking that it was just such an incredible threat to the youth of America. Right. <laughs> you know, and all just kind of perpetrated by one individual who pretty much just, um, as we know now, made up a lot of stuff out of thin air. Yeah. And, you know, it's typical of, you know, uh, somebody like Gaines, I mean, comic book, book people know who Gaines is but you mm-hmm. know the average person they don't know who he is yeah, you know, they, they know mad to. and they might know tales from the crypt and probably from movies or maybe reading mad as a kid but you know it's like <laughs> yeah um, another era that people may know very little about yeah. and probably only know um, a 
as much as just the name Robert Crumb or yeah. just what they saw in the movie uh, that they did of Harvey Pekar, I would love to see some type of movie that really encapsulated the entire underground comic movement because yeah. that was an extremely uh, important uh, catapult, I think, for comics because I think that the whole independent comic book era that came out in the 80s you know that sprung things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a direct result of you know the earlier underground movement you know a decade earlier yeah and I agree with you I mean yes there's the Crumb movie and the Harvey Picar Picar biopic but yeah there's not really anything that kind of puts it together certainly nothing about Gilbert Shelton or any of the other people (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) um and, uh, and yeah. there, there are a lot of forgotten creators of that era that uh, we're going into something that uh, at this point people <laughs> listening are probably just glazing over because how many people really even are as interested <laughs> in this as we are. But there's so many creators of that era yeah. that um, just are completely forgotten and had such a DIY spirit to making comics mm-hmm. that you find in other eras and other uh, medium that did the same thing that I think very much came from that. I mean, you look at, like, the whole comic book, uh, underground comic book era of the late 60s and early 70s, and how it was such um, a free-for-all DIY thing, and, you know, uh, maybe, like, less than 10 years later, you had something as big as, say, the punk movement, where it may not have been directly... um, uh, related to underground comics, but it's that same DIY spirit that you know went from one medium to another, and you know where is it now? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, no, you won't. You won't alienate listeners. I mean, it's because like, uh, <laughs> I've had podcasts already, and you know we're we're talking about Italian horror films, uh, matchbook covers. <laughs> What else have I talked about in a different episode? Uh, somebody who did uh, warm-ups for, <laughs> for so TV shows. So it's people of like so, minds. So, I mean, I you know, the, the whole purpose of the podcast is, of course, wide-ranging and uh, it kind of goes all over the map. And, you know, yep. it's just pop culture. And this all is pop culture. And it's like, yeah, you may not know the nitty-gritty about something, but, you know, it might spark interest in somebody. Hmm, maybe I should sure. check that out. Undergrounds. I never thought about that. Or I only exactly. know Robert Crumb. Is there other people? Sure there is. You know, maybe I'll investigate that. So that's the whole it's, it, it's amazing how many things there are in popular culture now mm-hmm. that people love, have no idea how much it was influenced by something that came before that people have no recollection of, that people have no knowledge of. Right. You know, and that's my hope with the podcast. I mean, besides I enjoy doing this, it's just, you know, it's like, hey, you know, sparking an interest to get somebody to to investigate and, and further and say, ooh, I'd like to see that, you know, for this uh, show, it would be, you know, oh, I'd like to investigate that guy's comic store or see his comics yeah. online or read his books or, you know, uh, see that history of comics, like, for me, I'm going, I need to see that History of Comics show. Even if there's flaws in it, I want to see it, you know, things like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, I would say that, like anything, there's probably some flaws here and there, but there's some things that they get right, and there's some things that you think, hey, I never knew that. Yeah. You know, and you doing this podcast, you have the ability to be able to 
um, shine a light on some of that stuff. Yeah. Me as a comic book shop owner, I have the ability to do that as well. When people come in and say, "Oh, I love the Marvel movies," uh, I really would love to read something, and then I and I would, you know, I can point them towards classic Marvel storylines with that um, that they took, you know, to make those movies. Yeah, you yeah. know, or even like with my own comic strip. Um, some of the comic strips, while it's a you know one and done gag comic strip, some of the ones that I've done um, is an ongoing thing called Comics History 101, where the comic strip will just be uh, me telling the reader about some uh, unknown little bit of comic book history about a certain creator, mm. you know, and it's like a chance for me to say, hey, did you know this little story? Uh, maybe that will make you look at uh, whatever a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Well, um, did you have any final thoughts about anything we talked about or anything else at this point? <laughs> I, th I think we talked about pretty much everything, okay. didn't we? Yeah, well, I try to get, I try to cover, <laughs> like I said, I keep it all free form. I know some people do podcasts and it's like, you know, we're going to talk about this subject and that's it, you know, but it's like, Hey, it's more no, fun like this way. I just like to have a general conversation. Find out about yeah. the person, find out what they do, and find out what they're interested in. And you've yeah. filled the bill here, so that's what we're doing. It's, it's definitely more fun when you wing it. And then, you know, for me especially, and probably the same for you, you can just talk about comic books or comic book history for hours on end until yeah. people literally just glaze over and just tell you to please just shut up yeah <laughs> and then i get to the end of the episode like i'm doing and i go well let's rope it all in here so you know i you know and so the way i do it is i just say hey do you have anything you want to plug you did a plug earlier in the but you can plug it again and um but yeah if i can plug it again i will say hey if you're in the santa monica area the los angeles area come on and check us out at heidi ho comics we are in a new location at 412 broadway in Santa Monica, mm -hmm. and as the year goes on, uh, the new year goes on, we will continue to improve it and you know work with it and have all kinds of great events there, which uh, we have so many ideas of things we want to do with this new location. Mm -hmm. And if you want a good laugh and enjoy um, comics and comic book culture, please check out my webcomic collectors at collectorscomic.com. Mm -hmm. Follow it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And hey, if if you have a um, uh, the ability to, you can go and check out the archives on AMC and watch the um, Robert Kirkman's uh, Secret History of Comic Books and check out the first episode, and you will see me in there mm -hmm. waxing poetic about Stanley and Jack Kirby. Very good. Uh, one last uh, question about your Heidi Ho comics: Do you sell comics online as well, or just in the shop? <laughs> We do. Okay. Uh, we will be expanding that in the coming year, but right now what we do have is a pretty large eBay store. Okay. Um, whenever we get a lot of older books, we buy an old collection, and it's got a lot of good, you know, uh, older key issues, or, and you know, pretty much any good, uh, more valuable gold, silver, bronze age stuff. We always put that up in our eBay store, but it's also available in our physical store as well. Okay, I just was asking that if Santa Monica is not on everyone's travel plans anytime soon. Yeah, so True, yeah. <laughs> but as the year goes on, we do have a new system in place that is going to afford this, uh, the ability to offer much more of our inventory online. All right. Well, very good. And any future projects coming up for you or just continuing on doing the collector's webcomic and things like that? 
Yeah, continuing on doing that. Um, I've always had the inclination and I've had a couple conversations recently that might actually make it more of a possibility, but I've always had the inclination of turning my property of collectors into uh, some type of uh, animated property and maybe someday that will come true. And um, again, continuing on with uh, making our new location at Hideo Comics bigger, better, and hopefully even more successful. Sounds good. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Eddie, for being my guest today. I loved it. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Eddie D'Angelini, for being my special guest. Episode number 22 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com or become a Patreon of Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed $1 a month, that would be a tremendous help. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much and have a good night.